Welcome back to the Derek Diamond Experience podcast, and today I'm talking to the Morrison brothers, Mark and Ren, about growing up in the Orlando area, what inspired them to become filmmakers, and why sometimes working for free can pay off in the long run. They also discuss their films, Damn It Jim, I'm Only a Documentary, and Florida Bush League Wrestling, the movie. Both are fantastic, really funny, really fun to watch. Uh, you should definitely check them out. They're both available on Amazon Prime. So here we go. Here's my conversation with Mark and Ren Morrison. Sitting here with my two very special guests this week, the Morrison brothers, Mark and Ren. How are you guys doing tonight? I'm doing great. I'm doing fabulous, Derek. Fabulous. I, I'm I'm happy to hear that. I was hoping that you would be fabulous when we arranged this whole thing. So, uh, to kind of get started, where exactly are you guys originally from, and what was it like growing up where you're from? Uh, we grew up outside of Orlando, um, kind of near Eatonville, uh, around Maitland, but outside of Orlando, and lived there in the same place most of our lives. And it was great. It was a great upbringing. There were, when I was much younger, there were orange groves across from us. A lot of the time was spent outside. We lived on a lake, um, fishing, seaweed fights, um, anything involving water, and then go play in the orange groves, have orange fights. There were woods behind the neighborhood that we would play in, make secret forts, all kinds of things. So it was really a, an active and great upbringing, I felt, in that regard. That's fantastic. No, I'm, I'm from Prince, uh, Pensacola, which is in the northwest portion of Florida, and I've been to Orlando several times. You know, on family vacations, friend vacations, sometimes to Disney, and then sometimes just to kind of go around Orlando. I I personally love the Central Florida area, so I can only imagine growing up there had to have been great. Yeah, it was a lot less populated then, but it was a lot of fun for sure. So growing up, what was it that made you guys want to become filmmakers? Was it a movie you saw as a kid? Is it something that, you know, came into adulthood? What, what was it that kind of sparked that? Um, I mean, personally, I always loved movies and TV, uh, but really the thing that got me into it was Mark. Um, I was more of a photographer and a painter and a writer, and he started making movies and really got me into films, you know, taught me how to appreciate movies, showed me movies, foreign movies that, of course, I never would have watched otherwise because um, I had a lot of reading to him. But uh, um, he really was the one, the driving force behind us making movies and my even thinking about being part of movies. So he can talk more about that part. Yeah, I got more, it was more in high school that I kind of just, my buddy... His parents had one of those old VHS camcorders we had to carry the deck around, and we just started making goofy movies out in his backyard <clears throat> and kind of got into it then. And then I uh, graduated high school, and I've always kind of had a love for architecture, so I went to community college in St. Pete that was a feeder school for the University of Florida architecture program. So I started taking classes in that, and about a year in, I just decided it wasn't for me. And I started, you know, 
picking up a camera because my brother was doing it, a photography camera, and just started taking stills and really getting into that. And then I read about the University of Central Florida was in 1990, was it 1990, I think, had their inaugural film school program they were opening and they were looking for 30 students. So I just threw my name into the hat and then I was one of the 30 students I got in for the inaugural year. So it was, it was pretty awesome. And from there, I just, well, I just blossomed from there. And it was fun because we, it was before video, so it was all 16 millimeter. We had to edit the 16 millimeter and we had to go out and shoot. And then we had to record the audio separately. And it wasn't like now where you can actually play back a, a, a take, you know, and make sure everything's okay. Back then you just, you'd shoot several takes and then you'd have to send it in to the developer and get it back and hope that everything was lit properly and there's no scratches on the negative or hair in the film gate. And I don't know, just that really combined my passion of photography and some of the architecture just because we had to do a lot of like designs and I don't know, just space and uh, it's hard to explain. Anyway, sorry. Well, there's a lot of good architecture in that area, so. Yeah. But I remember working on those movies, and that's when I really, the thing I like most is I like writing, but actually the physical process of filmmaking, like I would help my brother on those, and it's just an incredible amount of work, but it's very satisfying, you know, when you see the finished project, but just it's, it's very physical work, very mental work, like Mark was saying, you know, storyboarding stuff trying to use structures and buildings to give you a depth of field and a sense of space if you want it instead of things being so flat and when he was mentioning some of this stuff i just started laughing out loud just now when he mentioned the movies he did um in high school i know he had this pixel 8 camera he did stuff on but yeah, he did one pixel called vision. yeah pixel vision reported on cassette tapes i think it was incredible but he did a movie called 79 Cent Supreme Beings, I think, that was hilarious. <laughs> and then he would just use his friends, so it was people I knew. Um, I don't know if you've seen the movie American Movie. Um, if you haven't, check it out. It's an incredible movie. Um, but it's about a guy who makes movies using his friends and things of that nature. But he did one, like, uh, it was kind of like a drug dealer-type movie, like Scarface with Marcello and all these other, just people I knew in it. And it was just, you know, action and... I mean, you could even doing things like that, that looking back, you kind of cringe maybe um, just because you didn't have money and you're just, you know, learning at that point. But you are really learning and doing those little things. You're learning like blocking out stuff and angles and you're definitely learning audio and what works and doesn't work lighting wise. And like even just doing little little things with video on your own, you can just you can educate yourself that way. And one of my favorite quotes, and it's not just a quote about filmmaking, it was years and years ago, I think it was someone asked Francis Ford Coppola about video, you know, and how he felt about it since he's this film auteur and makes all these great film movies, you know, he's, and they asked him, and their angle on it, you could tell was, you know, they asked, what do you think about how easy it is to make movies digitally with video? And this was a decade or so ago, and it's definitely easier now. And I think they were expecting him to be somewhat snobbish about it, but he wasn't at all. You know, he's, and I don't know if I've got the city or state correct. He's like, he's was basically saying, this is fantastic. He's like, I look forward to the day when, you know, some 10 year old girl in Des Moines, Iowa, makes some incredible movie because she can equipment wise. It's just easier now to translate your thoughts 
dreams and visions into a film. But I think what something Mark was speaking to is going through it at a time when it was so hard, gives you that attention to detail and also gives you that discipline. Um, we've been doing video at my job and they're just like, oh, let's just run in with a video camera and do this. But I'm already thinking about sound, lighting. I'm thinking about all these things based on projects with Mark and what I've learned from working on our films together. And, and it kind of informs your practice, you know, it informs how you approach movie making. And, you know, that's a big part, I think, of going from film to video is you've learned that discipline and structure. And not that people shooting video don't take it seriously, but you take it more seriously, I think, if you're coming from a place where there are no second takes and film costs so much money and you try to make every shot count and there is no playback instantaneously and you have to wonder if what you got turned out or not. So that I think is a little bit of a transition or something I think helped with um, how Mark approaches films and what he's talking about, you know, in the approach to films and how, how it works basically, if that makes sense. Well, I'm sure it gives you a much better appreciation for what we have now that you can do, you know, instant playback to see if, that shot worked or if you need to do something else. So I, I, I can definitely see that. But I, I mean, I'm speaking for myself, but I'd never want to go back in time. I mean, <laughs> it's much, much easier. It's less expensive now and it's just accessible to everybody. I think, you know, it's much easier for people to make film. And I think that's a good thing. Just like Francis Ford Coppola was saying, you know, where it's not so elitist, where it's not just for people that have money or, you know, it's just, it's more accessible and easier to do. Right. And people who, you know, have normal nine to five jobs who want to be a filmmaker can sometimes have, you know, a great original idea. And, you know, even like 15 years ago, you couldn't you couldn't do what you do now. No, not at all. And you can have a smaller crew so you don't have to spend as much money and you can probably gather a group of friends a lot easier than trying to find a crew like you had to in the old days. Not old days, but back when you had to shoot film. Exactly. And mentioning a, something you mentioned earlier that I wanted to touch on, you mentioning like, you know, doing storyboarding, lighting, audio, something that I stress to everyone I talk to who want to, you know, be on a film set or want to make film. I'm sure you guys will agree with me when I say this, but learn as much as you can, even if it's not exactly what you want to do. Yeah, definitely. Yeah. I mean, and work on student films like that's, I mean, you're not going to get paid, but you're going to learn so much on someone else's dime. If you, and they're always, students are always needing help on their crews. And yet, you know, you'll learn, maybe you'll go and it'll be a total jackass production where not the film franchise jackass, but just, you know, it might be horrible, a horrible movie or a horrible director or a horrible story or horrible everything. But at least you'll learn like what not to do and think about how I could do this better and, you know, find those inefficiencies or those failures that on, that someone else is making on their movie. And you might just be the guy running lights or the guy holding the boom. But if you're watching everything or the gal holding the boom, if you're watching everything, you can learn so much. And that's your payment for helping out with student films and, you know, just people in your area. They usually if you find a film school, you're going to find a steady flow of work you can do even if you're not in the program you can learn from those people in the program and being part of their productions and you'll get to tap into that buzz 
movie like I did with by working with my brother like I never would have found that but I was like man I really like this you know on the movie we made it was super stressful incredible amounts of work dealing with unions locations permits actors payments flights all this type of stuff and it's exhausting but it's just a an adrenaline rush it's like a buzz if you're into it it's unlike anything else I mean it really is it's one of those things Oh, go ahead. Sorry. I was going to say also a key thing, too, is you get to meet other filmmakers. You never know who's going to go on and might have their break, you know, and then you, you've worked with them. They remember that you work for free and you hustled. And that's just another aspect of working on anything you can get in on on any level. Exactly. Yeah. And learning how to work with actors like we were in Chicago when we made a lot of the stuff we've made and we ended up working with the same actors, you know, that we met. And people from the Star Trek movie are the stars of, you know, Florida Bush League Wrestling. Um, we got to know them working with them, and, you know, we they worked for free for us, which was great because the actors are in the same position. They want to work. They all do work for free at, at certain points in their career. And you learn how to manage actors, and you, I mean, for me, found an incredible appreciation for their craft because it is very hard, and not a lot of people are good at it. I mean, just point blank, it's very hard. Well, funny thing is, you say Chicago, I actually met Paul and Graham when I first moved out. I graduated film school, and my brother was already up there as a photographer, so I went up for an assistant. And I was supposed to stay for the summer, and I ended up staying four years. But the first year, I was a server at this restaurant, and I came up to their table, Paul and Graham, a big thing in Golden Graham, and they were um, doing storyboards and I said hey are you guys doing a film and I'm like yeah we're doing a short film this weekend like can I help and they're like yeah you want to hold the boom and I'm like sure so that's how I met them and then like several months later we did the uh, damn it Jim and had them come out and help us so it's, and it's so great when you're working with you know there's people that want to act and say they want to do it but like once you work with real actors then you know and they were real actors very serious um you know, it was great. Okay, we worked with them on the Star Trek thing, but when we flew them to Florida to do Florida Bush League Wrestling, you know, they were always joking around and everything like that. And, you know, they, I had a relationship with one of them where we would just get on each other's nerves, basically, and just browse each other. You know, so I was worried about him taking the movie seriously. But when he showed up, he had, you know, the script is 90-plus pages. He had every page memorized. Wow. Word for word every single page memorized and you know we're shooting we're not shooting it in order and you know that's one thing when i started working with my brother i was like oh you think everything's shot in order chronologically just like it's going to appear in the movie or show but no it's all over the place it's all based on locations and talent you know if you only have the talent there for one day you're shooting all their scenes from beginning to end in that one day like that part i thought was really difficult or i guess i was ignorant but i would just that surprised me that they were able to do that. And, you know, the, a character from the beginning to the end of the film might make an incredible transition in emotional state or spiritual realizations or physical things. And they have to do those things. You know, here's your first take. You're this person. You've just come out of Vietnam, prisoner of war. You're in this mental state. And now we're going to finish with the right after that's the last scene where you're married, happy, and fully adjusted and having a great life. And like, that's an incredible change to make as a character, as an actor playing a person in 20 minutes. You know, it's just, it would amaze me quite frankly. Yeah. I remember the first time I found out that 
movies weren't shot in order, like as far as scenes go. And that just that that one little detail just blew me away. I was like, huh? But I mean, now it's you know it's it's like second nature. But you know, it's, it's a lot of moving parts, and like you said, it's a lot of hard work. But it's one of those things that if you're truly into it, when you're done, you're like, let's let's make another one. Yeah. Let's take a break from uh, a yeah. <laughs> little bit of a breather, but after yeah. that, we'll we'll do another one. You mentioned yeah. your your Star Trek movie, so let let's dive into that. You you guys did a documentary called "Damn It, Jim, I'm Only a Documentary." What yes. gave you guys the idea to do it? Um, I've always been a Star Trek fan, and and then I've uh, been to some conventions. I wasn't like a diehard Trekkie, but just always thought oh, I'd be cool to like do some interviews and follow some of these people around a convention and I was, I was like pretty much when I just moved to Chicago and I still wanted to do some film work and stuff so I got to the um, Chicago Public Access Channel and they just got all this new Hi8 equipment because that was the big thing then was Hi8 and they're mainly being used for like churches and religious programs so I just took the course so I could rent the equipment out or check it out and I just checked it out did a bunch of little short films, and then there was a Klingon convention coming into town. I told my brother, man, let's go shoot a bunch of stuff from this, and then we'll get Paul and Graham in here to be Trekkies, which they were Trekkies, but they kind of did some improving on some of the stuff to make it a little more fun and funnier. But Their stuff was hilarious, by the way. Yeah, they were great in that, because we interspersed the documentary with their stuff, and we kind of wrote stuff for it, but they... I mean, you could have written anything, but it wouldn't have worked without them because they had so much knowledge yeah. of old Star Trek that it's I mean that's really them. It'd be great if we could take credit for what yeah. they. But I mean, they just blew it up, and just I was just dying when they were doing it. You know, like especially the ending part. You know, that part was definitely not written. You know, where they ends the movie. I guess I won't spoil it, but whatever. It's just. It was just great. And um, with the access equipment, which w was cool about that, like when cable was in its, not infancy, but early early times, and I don't know if it's still true, but they had to have studio space and equipment available to anyone in the public who wanted to use it. So like Mark was saying, all this equipment came in new, and if you're a member of the community, you have a right, a legal right to use that equipment. That was part of the cable deal, and I don't think it exists anymore. But what ended up happening was a lot of religious programming and things of that nature would take advantage of it. They knew about it and would take advantage of it to produce their shows, which is fine. But the bad part is they had no background or respect for the equipment, and it became trashed relatively quickly. So we felt we've got to do this really quickly before the equipment gets trashed. How long did it take you guys to shoot it? Uh, Mark would probably remember that. It was... Oh, good. Yeah, I'm done. We shot, like, the majority of the stuff at the convention over a two-day period. And then Paul and Graham was like, it was probably, like, about five days total. Yeah, and then we went and did one on-site interview, which was one of the scariest film moments I've ever had in my life. It was crazy. Um, I don't know if you've seen it, but there's a scene where there's a guy... We shoot, we're shooting him in the Admiral's Lounge, and we lived in the city, but he was out in the suburbs, so we trekked out to where he was. We show up in this house, and it just felt wrong. Like, it just felt wrong. It was a two-story two house with a basement, 
And so all of the, he had mocked up this Star Trek lounge in the basement of his house. So we're showing up to a stranger's house, going down in the basement. And it was just like a, the weirdest feeling. And we were talking to him for a little bit. And then he introduced some person that we didn't even know was down in the basement. I was like, oh, my gosh, this is going to go bad. It was just a tense moment, you know, like showing up into someone's house. And I think that's the only one we did out on location on that one. Everything else was shot yeah. in the conventions. But it was some of the best footage. He ended up being fine. And there's some yeah. just some great comedic moments where he wasn't meaning to be comedic. You know, but some of them resonate with me now there's one scene again i won't ruin it but like every time i get into an elevator i think about that scene every single time (laughs) i know exactly what scene you're talking about yeah i did it today because every single time like my mind just won't i don't think about you know i just think it's gonna move so yeah yeah so that one was funny no the the two guys uh graham and paul they were they were hilarious just from their their banter, you know, with them bashing like Lost in Space and other sci-fi movies, yeah. saying like, "Oh, well, Star well, Trek. The reason why Star Trek's great is that it could happen. Like that could be yeah. our future." And then just their their role playing, and especially the Shatner stuff was it had yeah. me dying. That's all them. I mean, that's all you know. They had those thought processes about Deep Space Nine, and you know, you know, look at the. The tricorder, it's a freaking flip phone. You know, it is true. Like, a lot of that stuff did come true, but they were incredible to work with. They were their just really great. I'm sorry. Their background is stand-up comedy. So, like, uh, Graham has his own uh, podcast now, uh, Comedy Film Nerds out of L.A. And yeah, it's great. Paul's in Arizona now. But, yeah, their their background is stand-up. And they, they were good with just improv and rolling with it. But like Ren said, they did have a really deep background with Star Trek. So that helped out a lot. So all the role-playing stuff, that was just you guys put them in front of the camera and said, just go? Yeah. I think we started with a little bit of notes and stuff like that, but you couldn't write what they did. You know, it's like they, like, oh, you guys are in this club, and, like, it's only the two of you. And, you know, but they started the whole thing about Timmy and the Tribbles and, like, all that stuff. (laughs) Like, it was such a basic concept. (laughs) And then they did it, you know, like Bones. And um, came up with all the 120 episodes that they wrote. Yeah, that's the best part. (laughs) (laughs) The whole thing about the costumes and where they will and not wear, you know, it's like that. Well, we told them that we didn't have a budget for costumes to do the the role playing. So they're like, oh, we'll figure something out. And they came up with, you know, we'll do the role playing, but not in our costumes. Yeah. And they sold it. I mean, they definitely sold it. So. That's the amazing part, like being around people like that and seeing what happens, you know, with an idea you might come up with and then what other people do with that idea. You know, it's very, I think some people can be very territorial about that. Like, I want every word, word for word, and I want you to do this and that. But it's like, if we had done that, that thing would have been a total turd. I mean, like those guys owned it, you know, they made it their own, they took direction, but it's like they brought to it so much more than we could have ever thought of. You know, there's just, you know, that's the exciting part for me, or that's gratifying, or just to be in, around that and feel a part of it is great. Well, you could tell it was authentic, and I don't think yeah. it would have been that way had it been scripted word for word. Because when you have yeah. actors or, you know, on-air characters like that that can come up with that kind of stuff off the top of your head, it's much better than really anything that you could write because 
it's natural, it's organic, and even standing behind the camera, it's fun to watch. I mean, you have to keep yourself from laughing, but other than yeah. that, you know, it's it's just that's exciting stuff to watch. And I, you yeah. could tell that those two were having fun doing it. Yeah, it was great. Um, they sold it so well that everyone really. I, mean, I guess the title says it's a documentary, but even Film Threat Video Guy that year did a whole documentary issue, and it was like one of the feature four-page articles they did all about the Dammit Gym. And this was right before Trekkies came out. So. Yeah, the movie. Yeah. I mean, the interesting, or conversely, with the Florida Bush League, that was almost word-for-word word scripted. Like, they went off script sometimes. But, I mean, I wrote that whole thing with them as the character, so it was them that I was writing for um, and I knew what I was going to be getting. And I really, you know, if someone asked me and I was like, I think it's probably like 95 to 98% of that movie was all script, you know, written word for word. But again, it was written for their characters and what they did with those words was beyond expectation, you know, and how just mannerisms, like things that Paul did, like on that big, you know, before even the wrestling match, just things they did. That's one part where they improv when Graham is in the dressing room and, you know, clap of thunder, flash of lightning. Like, that's all him. Like, that's when he's at his best, too. Like, they were really good at becoming those characters. The characters were written with them in mind, but they were very good about embodying those characters and really making us look good, I think, so. No, that's, that's great. Now, you guys... You shot all that footage in early 90s, like 92, 93, correct? Uh, the Star Trek stuff, yeah. The the damp, or the um, wrestling thing, we'd both moved back from Chicago, and it was like 2000, 2001, and we shot yeah. it. Because we knew we back, we're like, we want to do a feature film. You know, we were sitting around Orlando, and we're just kind of like wanting to do something. So I was like, let's do it. I got a high camera. Let's just make it work. And so we, he wrote it, and we just uh, started getting everything ready and shoot. I think we shot it in, was it 12 or maybe it was 14 days, I think. We yeah, we had it minute by minute planned out because we flew both of them in and we flew in Graham's girlfriend. I mean, there's so much that isn't in the movie. I mean, we shot three times what you see about and it's, you know, whole tons of scenes never made it to it. But, and that's the hard thing, too, is, like, you write all this stuff, and it just doesn't work out, or it doesn't, you know, once Mark starts editing it. I mean, that's another thing I think you can learn once you start making movies, is how important editing is in really making it a story. I mean, because I wrote 90 to 100, 120 pages. We shot a lot of that. But once, you know, the editor gets it, they can if they're literally just doing the script and putting it scene to scene together, you're losing something with an editor, I think, because they should be able to look at it and then it's in their hands to make a story out of it at that point based on the whole script, but also what's working, what's not working. Um, and that's why editing takes so long. It's an incredibly arduous process. And, you know, that's where the story, to me, that's where movies get made. You know, I think it's one of the most overlooked things. But I think anyone that's in movies knows that that's where movies are made, you know, in edit. You know, it's so critical. And that's something I definitely didn't realize, you know, until we started doing this. And I don't do any of the editing, but just seeing, you know, what was left out, 
you know, on a personal level, you write the script and you would think, I feel a little offended. This scene's not in, that scene's not in, but I didn't feel that at all. I felt like, uh, that didn't work. You are right. That didn't work. And, you know, the story's better for not having that. So it could possibly be a tough pill to swallow, but it's not when it's, it depends on your ego, I suppose. But yeah, you know, well, that that's kind of the joy about editing. I've never edited like a feature or anything, but I've edited, you know, a couple of short things that I've shot myself or things with my day job. It's, I think the reason why I like editing so much is it's very much like putting a puzzle together. You know, you get all the footage and they're all in all these little pieces and you got to sync everything together. And much like you said, if you just do it strictly by the script, you know, it may not necessarily work that way. So it's very much you're you're putting the story together. You're essentially telling it by putting all these pieces together. And I think the editor needs that freedom, at least to do an initial cut, you know, like, yeah, where I could see that not happening where, you know, a director maybe, or just like, no, it's, this is my vision. And maybe that does happen. I don't know, but it's the thing about film that makes it fun for me is it's a collaborative effort. There's so many skilled people involved. Like, I don't know how one person could feel like they, could be the sole driving force behind it because there's all these creative energies involved. And yeah, some of them might not be in tap with the vision of the script or the director, but if you don't let at least let that happen, I think you're losing out or it's not fun. It wouldn't be fun to me. I don't think. No, I totally agree with that. We're on the topic of your wrestling movie, Florida Bush league wrestling. How did you guys come up with the idea for that? Well, like I said, we uh, moved back from Chicago, and we always knew that we wanted to do another short film or a feature film with Paul and Graham because they just work so well together. And it was just we were just getting bored in Orlando, and Ren was really wanting to write something long or feature. So he just started. We just got just started going back to our days when we were growing up in the '80s, and we really loved wrestling. There wasn't really many like underground feature comedy wrestling movies sort of like why don't we make like a mockumentary about these two guys trying to make it into professional wrestling and and Ren just ran with that and I don't know how long it took him to write it but he got it written and we started shooting within like a month of him writing that was fun to do I really enjoyed it because we both um god what was it called the promotion it was Gordon Soley was the announcer you know, it was big with Dusty Rose. Oh, oh, that's awesome. Like, that was the inspiration because it's so, it was so ridiculous, but we were so into it as children. And it was theater and it was just the personalities. And I mean, I drew a lot from that, you know, a lot from that. Back in the 80s, they didn't have as many, like, a lot of wrestlers now are just huge, like, superhero type bodies, you know, like steroided out. Back then, they had a good mix, you know, like overweight guys and yeah, mm-hmm. younger guys. So there's a lot more character, I think, back then. Yeah, there was a lot more. What's... I don't know. It was more like a show, you know, and it's definitely still a show. But I just felt like the characters back then were just like Dusty Rhodes. Like, how do you come up with that character? Because he's part pimp. 
he's part street person, you know, just his dialect, the way he spoke and his mannerisms of strutting around. And if you haven't seen it, it's, you won't understand what I'm saying, but he was just an incredible individual. And was he like, I don't even know if he had a bicep, you know, it's just like, he was this big, heavy guy with a bleached out perm, you know, who talked real Mississippi Southern and strutted around. And I don't, it was just, it was a lot of fun. They were, they were just wild and unique characters. You know, there weren't someone you were going to meet on the street and they weren't gym rats, you know, and I mean, there were some big muscly guys, but that was not the norm. You know, there were all kinds of characters. So it's funny you mentioned that because I had started watching wrestling in the late nineties. And then once the, you know, WWE has their own network now that has a lot of that old stuff from the eighties and I went back and watched it and through, you know, seeing documentaries before that, that stuff was great. Like, it, it's great. I, I look at it because like, a lot of people don't like it. I just compare it to theater. It's just a different yeah. type of theater. And <laughs> if you if you were to make a list of best talkers ever in that industry, Dusty Rhodes would have to be in, like, the top yeah. three. He was – and he had that lisp that kind of just drew yeah. you in. And he was just so passionate about everything. And that's yeah. – I, I still keep up with it to an extent as far as the current stuff, but – It'll never be like it was back in the day when you had, you know, all the great stories and you had your Dusty Rhodes, you had your Ric Flairs, you had, you know, guys like that that just kind of drew you in. It wasn't so much about the stuff that happened in the ring. It was the story and them talking you into the building. Yeah. I mean, a good thing, I think, that's been incredible for people to get a sense of that is Glow, because I remember when that was actually on TV we were in Tampa at the time. I don't know if I ever saw it on TV, but I worked at a record store and it came in on VHS, like the whole glow, the original, you know, that the Netflix thing is based on. I was like, ah, this is just like the eighties wrestling type stuff, you know? And it's, but I think that will hopefully make people appreciate it more. I don't know. So. No, I, I really enjoyed the, the Florida Bush league movie. It, it, it very much it felt like a documentary and some of the footage that was actually you know wrestling related it reminded me very much of if i were watching an old documentary about wrestling or your indie show matches it had that feel to it yeah and the wrestlers that the actual wrestlers that were in it like psycho and navy seal they were great to work with particularly psycho oh he was funny yeah, Psycho was good. We actually had started doing a documentary. I forgot about that. We started to do a documentary going around all the Bush Leagues in Florida, and that's how we met Psycho and Navy SEAL, who plays American Pride, and the, how we found some of the gyms we could shoot in, some of the rings. And Yeah, we started doing that. Actually, on the, um, I, have a, I think it's up on YouTube. We have the actual old documentary. It's like about a 20-minute documentary that kind of like pushed us into – doing the feature film more. Yeah. And that helped with the writing for me a lot, seeing those, real, we'd go to VFW halls and just see really, you know, these guys are cutting themselves up and bleeding all over the place for like 25 bucks a night. And they all have these dreams of making it big. So that helped with the script writing too, seeing that type of thing. Yeah. And I, like, I always, I just remembered this part with Psycho. Um, Cause there's, I guess I don't know if I could say it. It's in the, it'll ruin the movie. Oh, well. 
I don't think it well it's up to you <laughs> well, there's this part where you know they're doing a face-off promo and psycho needs to cut his forehead open you know that's in the script and he's got to do it so we messed around our first inclination was to fake it of course so we had did we fake it first or do it for real first i think we faked well, we told him we wanted to fake it, and he's like i want to do it for real i want to do it for real so we still had it ready to go fake but yeah but i think we did it fake there's this ab solution you put one on the knife and one on the head and then when it touches it turns into blood i think we faked it first and then we went off and like talked about it and we came back and told him we're like it doesn't look real enough and but he ended up doing it cutting up in his head you know it's just like it was intense that guy was intense he kind of scared me sometimes but i can definitely see that no the the cutting of the of the forehead that kind of caught me off guard it's like i i remember stuff like that happening but i just wasn't expecting it and as soon as he takes that thing to his forehead and slices it i'm like oh my god yeah and like we had it at the Orlando Film Festival last year, and that when that came on, everyone's like, oh! Because <laughs> it's all fun and games up to that point. You know, yeah. it's just this fun little story, and then that happens. But the, the best, one of the best things about that the movie, Mark mentioned that festival, is like that was, you know, a great moment for us because it was, the theater was full of filmmakers, and they loved the movie. They loved it. And so that felt really good to get that adulation and encouragement from fellow filmmakers. I think that was one of my proudest moments about ever making movies was that it felt so good. And the question and answer sessions afterwards, they, you could just tell they were really into it and they understood what was going on and you know, to talk about what a great job we did. It was just really felt great. Yeah. Cause we were nervous because I mean, the film festivals now everyone's shooting 4k and minimum hd but this was shot before hd so it was sd and blown up as kind of grainy and we're like oh my god they're gonna roast us because these are all filmmakers you know passionate about film and they actually enjoyed it they kind of liked it, how it had the 80s tv feel to it because it was you know it looked like a tv format and i agree so, with that yeah and the guy who ran the founder of the festival and the guy running it he loved it he thought it was hilarious he was like, you guys are killing me with this movie. You know, he just really thought it was great. I mean, cinematically, it's not it's shot meant to be flat and really, you know, just yeah. lit comedy style and wrestling style back in the day. But yeah, so that's why. Like they definitely got it. So that was great. I mean, that was a great moment for us. Some of the funnier moments from the movie that that really made me laugh when Graham got the the headset stuck in his hair and he was like <laughs> spent like close to five minutes trying to get it out of i was just i was almost out of my chair laughing when that happened you'll see in the, the credits that that actually was like was a mistake and he started laughing because mm-hmm. that wasn't even script. he just he started laughing he's like oh my god i can't believe i laughed and so we did it again and it was just as funny but it was just funny that that just actually kind of just happened on set and he ran with it and it was yeah. funny, but from a producer director standpoint, we were nervous because that was extensions. And we're like, crap, if he pulls his mullet out, we're screwed. <laughs> so. And I, I don't want to give away too much from the movie, but the other things, like the recurring thing that kept making me laugh were the, the training scenes with uh, uh, with Paul just you, by himself, like doing like self suplexes and self body yeah. slams. Just <laughs> I was like, 
that that's that was some dedication. Yeah, that was really good. And he doesn't have a wrestling bone in his body. Like they did not know much about wrestling at all before this, so it was fun. And that whole location was the house I was living in, which made it fun for me. Like we just cleared everything out. So, and my cat got a cameo. I saw that. <laughs> it's like, hey, a cat. No, yeah. using you know, using your own place and things like that. This sometimes that's just what you have to do. I mean, if you have the resource, uh, definitely. definitely use it. Yeah. All the furniture out. Like that was our place, so it was great. What was, if it's not anything that will give away something that happens in the movie, what's one funny onset story that, looking back on it, like, makes you laugh harder than any other? Oh man, I'd have to think the people might catch it, but it's during one of the things of um, Paul training himself, and he. Uh, like right before he rolled camera, he's like, I got to go to the bathroom. I'll come right back. And he was in his underwear. And he came back and he had rolled up a sock to make himself look huge and shoved it in his underwear. <laughs> and we just, we kept it in there. You can see it, but a lot of people don't catch it. But I thought that was funny. Like Ren's like, oh, let's just keep it. <laughs> I think yeah. I know what scene you're talking about. <laughs> For me, the funniest moment is in the credits. It was just a funny moment that didn't happen. It was like, you know, an outtake behind the scenes thing and it makes me laugh every time i see it it's at the ending and the ending credits like i was telling graham something like he was asking something about the script and i couldn't remember the things 120 pages but he had it memorized so he's like gets all indignant and he starts ragging on me and he's just basically calling me and you have to watch it i guess but you know, he's like mocking me, saying, "Well, I'm just the guy who wrote the damn thing." And he throws it at me, and it was those moments were fun for me. The things that happen outside the filming moment, you know, just little things like that. And then there's a scene that isn't even in there, and it's not a scene that makes me laugh, but it's a scene that we did an interview. Paul has his own blog, and he had never caught a fish before, so we we're out there filming this one scene out in this park where I'm like, you're going to catch a fish. You know, I'm going to make sure you catch a fish before this is done. And I mean, this is X amount of years later. And he brought it up during his thing. He's like, you know, we asked something of like what you're asking now. He's like, you know, what was really cool as I caught my Ren made sure that I caught my first fish that day. I mean, it's like little things that happen like that, that maybe yeah. don't end up on the film that aren't even part of the film, but really are part of the film yeah. and part of the dedication and camaraderie and them feeling comfortable you know, Graham feeling comfortable enough to like make fun of me, not remembering my own script, you know, and like going off on me like those moments, you know, when they, when there's that comfort level and that collaboration level where it's not like Mark and I are the dictators and you're doing this, 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 you know, they felt comfortable saying, why don't we try this? Or just joking around and having those moments where it's not a hierarchy and it's more a collaboration. So those were the things I like. Those aren't necessarily the funniest moments, but those are the moments that I think I treasure the most about the process. Yeah, the collaboration when it comes to filmmaking is a, is a really big thing because it's really everyone coming together. I use this analogy all the time. It's everyone's little cogs in one big machine. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, Mark, yeah. Let's, let's talk about your uh, short documentary that you did uh, called Kahale, A Revival. Uh, it actually won uh, the AIA People's Choice Award, which is pretty fantastic. Uh, what gave you the idea to do that? Well, um, I moved out 
to Hawaii. I'm living on Maui now about nine years ago, and I've just been still doing a lot of video work. I'm kind of the stay-at-home dad. My wife has a full-time job, so I do a lot of Yelp commercials and just whatever I can. But I also, just to keep myself sane, I like to do my own little side projects. So I've always been doing these little um, two-minute pieces on local happenings and local artists. And my sister had sent me a link like a month before the deadline on the AIA having a film challenge and they had, you know, a top prize and then the grand prize. And then there was the people's choice award. So I was like, Oh, someone had told me about this guy, Francis Sinensi, who's the master holly builder on the islands. And it's almost a lost art. And he brought it back, kind of made a revival out of it. And I just talked to him and just shot the documentary and I'm making a longer version because the, it was a five minute time limit for the festival. But I just I've always had a since moving here, just a passion about the um, Hawaiian culture and the history and how a lot of it was almost lost, just historically a lot of like dance, music, surfing, all their culture was almost just washed out because of religion and people coming in and telling them how they had to do things and they couldn't do things the way they used to do it. So that's why I'm trying to get together. Um, six-part series that goes over like 20 minute pieces about each aspect you know hula dance farming and the hale was the first one so, and then the next one i'm working on is the canoe which is the which is a big part important part of their history is the voyaging canoe and how they got here well it was really fascinating to watch you because i i know little to nothing about the the culture out in hawaii and just you know seeing how they're starting to build things and just seeing new aspects of things I didn't know about was, was really cool. Other than that, um, do you guys have any collaborative projects that you're currently working on or individually? Um, right now I'm writing a lot. I've come off a period of a couple of years of not writing. I went to grad school to um, study writing more and worked on <clears throat> non-script related things just to improve my craft and kind of push myself um, and wrote like a lot of short stories, which I'm really bad at and still am, but I figured I might as well. I did learn a lot from doing that, but I really like writing longer things, um, novels, but I really enjoy writing scripts. So I'm working on a couple scripts right now. Um, I have been working on a kind of stop for a little bit, working on a movie like uh, where, like, you know, 10, 20 years later, where are Paul and Graham now? Um, I'm in notes on that. And then I'm working on um, another full length script and a novel. And I've just started writing again. You know, I took some time off about three months ago. So I'm just enjoying that process. I'd really like to make another movie. Um, so that's what the scripts are geared towards making another movie, especially if we could do another one with Paul and Graham. If, even if it isn't a follow-up type thing, it would be great to work with them again. Fun stuff. Um, yep. What's one piece of advice you guys could give to anyone who wants to become a filmmaker? Hmm. <laughs> Go for it and don't get discouraged, maybe. It's easy to get discouraged and maybe start doing smaller things. We did a bunch of shorts you know, I wrote shorts, we shot shorts, Mark's done a ton of short films, and it really is a good way to prepare you for doing a feature, I think. And it's much cheaper than doing a feature, of course, you know, and like I said before, work on other people's movies, even if it's for free. 
Yeah, with today's technology and the quality, you can get equipment fairly inexpensive, even just put yourself out there. If you want to be a DP, put yourself out there on Craigslist and say, hey, I've got equipment, I want to shoot stuff. Does anybody have anything? Or join local groups. I mean, even public access, they still have like bulletin boards of people wanting to do stuff. But my main thing recently, I've been, since I, film school, I kind of studied cinematography and I wanted to get into that. But when I moved out to LA, I saw there's so many people doing that. So I got more into editing and I really learned how to edit pretty well. Now I'm back into shooting again. But I think anyone that picks up a camera should do some editing so they know not to overshoot or what they would need in a shot to make it work. Because I've cut some stuff for people that are coming from a photography background and they'll go shoot something, but they won't hold the scene long enough. It'll be like two or three seconds and you need at least, you know, 20 or 30 to get an edit, you know, cut a clip out of it. So I don't know, just getting out there shooting and editing. Like Ren said, do some short films, even if you just try to do most of it all on your own, just so you can learn every little bit of it. Because the way the equipment is now, like these short documentaries, I've been doing all on my own, like getting the audio, lighting, shooting, editing, scripting, and, you know, just producing it. That's what I would say is just go out and shoot short things, even if it's just a documentary, just to learn the equipment and then put yourself out there to try to get help from other people for scripting. All good advice. Last question, do you guys have any website or social media plugs you'd like to throw out? Well, they can see Florida Bushley Wrestling on Amazon Prime if you're on Amazon Prime. And same with Damage Jim. I'm only a documentary. It's on Amazon Prime as well. And then the and website, Mark? Yeah, the website is floridabushleaguewrestling.com. Fun stuff. Well, guys, thank you so much for taking the time to do the interview. It was great. Oh, I love doing it. It was great. Thank yeah. you. Thanks again to Mark and Ren. Be sure to check out Damn It, Jim, I'm Only a Documentary, and Florida Bush League Wrestling, the movie, both available to watch on Amazon Prime. Next week, I'll be chatting with director Jenny Gold about her inspirational film, Cinemability, The Art of Inclusion. So be sure to come back and check out that really fun and really an inspiring conversation, one of the more inspirational and deeper conversations that we've had on this podcast. But until then, you can check out past episodes on Apple Podcast, Spotify, and Stitcher Radio. Just search for The Derek Diamond Experience. And be sure to leave a review. Uh, it helps me become more visible to the podcasting public. It's very, very helpful when it comes to giving more exposure to the show. Uh, you can also follow the show on social media, Facebook, Twitter, and Instagram at Podcast. And as always, thank you to my close friends, the Unicorn Wranglers, for providing the theme music for this podcast. Their songs Late Night Drive Through and Light and Jazzy can be found on their latest album, Greetings from the Space Van, which is available on Apple Music, Google Play, and Spotify. And if you're in the Pensacola area, they will be playing a show uh, this Friday night at Perfect Plain Brewing Company, which is in downtown Pensacola, at 9 o'clock p.m., Central Standard Time. So you can go to their website, unicornwranglers.com. Follow them on Facebook and Twitter at Unicorn Wranglers to find out more information about that. So that's going to do it for this week's show. So be sure to come back next week for my conversation with film director Jenny Gold. <laughs>